Hello again, fantasy nerds. Welcome to a very exciting episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And returning special guest, Lauren McCaffrey. What's up? Thanks for coming back, Lauren. Hey! Thanks for having me. Thank you again. And for this episode, we are finally... At long last, diving into Brandon Sanderson's newest installment in the Stormlight Archive, Rhythm of War. I'm super excited for this, as it's not... Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's not only, of course, Stormlight 4, but it's also the first Cosmere book that I've ever had the opportunity to read before release. Be still, my heart. A huge <laughs> thank you goes out to Peter Allstrom before we begin for making this episode possible. Thank you so much, Peter. And now... Since the entirety of my reading of this part involved a single 5-inch Samsung Galaxy S8 on low brightness in the dead of night while oh half gosh. asleep, Drew, would you care to give us our recap for what happened for this part? I myself would particularly appreciate it. <laughs> yes, but before I do this, I just want to say, this is going to be actually hard for me. I figure. Because I have had basically mental conditioning on myself <laughs> since February to not say a freaking word about any plot details <laughs> in this book. And now I'm about to sit down and just straight up like tell what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's and it, it feels like gripping so your hand weird. for too long and too hard and suddenly you have to pry it open and it doesn't want to open. Oh man, it's uh, this is this is so crazy. It is so crazy. So, <laughs> deep breath, deep yeah, breath. Let's do it. We kick it off once again with a prologue from the night of Gavilar Colin's death. This time, from the point of view of his wife Navani, we see some some details of how she has to run the kingdom uh, married to Gavilar. But more importantly, we get a, a fraught scene in which we get information about what Gavilar is doing. We see him outright talking with two of the heralds. We see him talking about moving investiture from Braze to Roshar. We see him implying that he wants to become a cognitive shadow himself and become immortal. But most of all, perhaps most importantly, we see he is a giant douche. <laughs> <laughs> He's more than that, but yeah, I agree. And, and we see Navani, very interestingly, burn a glyph ward, calling for Gavilar's death mm -hmm. just before he dies. Oh my gosh. So, from there, <laughs> we head on in to the main story of Rhythm of War. This is some time after the events of Oathbringer, over a year later. We kick off with a point of view from Lirin in Hearthstone, where refugees have been pouring in, uh, trying to escape the war in, in Herdaz, between the Voidbringers, between the Singers and the Fused, and the Herdazians. And at the end, Kaladin shows up. And we move to Kaladin. We have a huge battle 
over Hearthstone and in Hearthstone as the fourth bridge shows up. Navani's newest invention, a literal flying ship with bridge four embedded in the middle. Along with it, on its mission to evacuate the citizens of Hearthstone, comes an entire contingent of Knights Radiant, Windrunners, Edge Dancers. It's, it's crazy. But it's not crazy enough because there are new kinds of fused. We have a, a full-scale battle between the Heavenly Ones, between Leshwi and, and her fused and the Windrunners, but we have a, a battle, a fight between Kaladin and a new kind of fused, which we find out is a pursuer. A fused who can teleport his body, and Kaladin kills him. But soon after, Moash shows up. Moash kills Roshon out of revenge and tries to convince Kaladin to commit suicide. He is saved by Renarin and some uh, perhaps light weaving fun things there. The fused are defeated, the singers are defeated. And they start heading back to the Shattered Plains, where they can take the Oathgate Oath to Urethiru. On the way there, Navani, who also came along with Dalinar and, and the rest of the Fourth Bridge, gets a very cryptic message on a, a hidden span read. When they arrive back in Urethiru, Dalinar decides, you know what, Kaladin is... He's, he's, just not, he's just not in shape for this. He decommissions Kaladin from the front lines and says, look... I'm giving you a, a nominal promotion, but you are not fighting anymore. And Kaladin ultimately decides, I need to be a surgeon once again. Meanwhile, Navani has been spending her time in Urethiru leading research into new kinds of fabrials and has some interesting things going on. She's also checking out uh, Zeph, who is in jail, interrogating him and trying to figure out what is going on with this super weird gem that Zeph was given by Gavilar that is apparently not Voidlight. <laughs> so, we have one final major point of view in this section, and that is... Oh, excuse me, two final points of view. Oh, I almost, I almost forgot about Benley. Uh... <laughs> Well, we have Shalon, who is on the Shattered Plane. She's investigating Eli, Sadius, and her connections with the Sons of Honor. But before she can bring Eli in, she is assassinated. And Shalon is left to try to figure out who killed her, because it seems it must be someone from her inner circle of Lightweavers. She's also approached by Mraes, and given a new challenge to go into Shadesmar to the city of lasting integrity, the honor spren capital, and find Restaris, the leader of the Sons of Honor. <laughs> Along with many promises of knowledge about the Cosmere. And our final, our actual final major point of view is Venli, who is now in Kolinar. She has been discarded by Odium and is now the voice of Leshwi, the leader of the Heavenly Ones. And she is present for a meeting of the highest of the fused, including the Nine, the leaders. As a new fused shows up, another new fused, Rabonio. Was that the kitty? What was that? It's the bottle opener. I oh, tried okay. to get as him long as it stuff. wasn't glass. <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, Rabonio, the lady of. 
Payne or the Lady of Wishes, an insane fused who seems to be an almost anti-Yasna of some kind, who once tried to set loose a plague on Roshar to kill humanity, and she has a new plan. A new plan to attack Urithiru itself. So. So. So, <laughs> so, so. <clears throat> step into writing style first. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. And and I have one major thing to talk about with writing style, and that is part ones in the Stormlight Archive. Mm-hmm. The structure of these. We've talked about it a little bit on our on our Way of Kings and Words of Radiance and Oathbringer episodes, how Brandon generally structures the part one of each Stormlight book, where we have a, a general kind of a outline of what the overall conflicts are going to be for each of the characters, and then, a, and then a mini climax for each of the characters at the end of part one. That is no longer the case in Rhythm of War. Rhythm of War is instead structured as if the beginning of part one is the climax, the sander lanch, the sandstorm, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) of a novel that took place between Oathbringer and Rhythm of War. It kicks off with a massive battle and huge revelations at Hearthstone. It kicks off with new technology where the fused have um, this fabriel that can suck the stormlight. It, It can mute the ability to use stormlight and surges for Night's Radiant. It's it includes the revelation of new types of fused, the revelation of the, the fourth bridge, the revelation of new weapons used by the fused that can kill radiance permanently. It steals the stormlight out of them. There, it's just blow after blow after blow of huge new information going on here. And then, about seven or eight chapters in, that climax is over. And the rest of part one is more of a denouement. It's it's what what happens after this battle. The fuse lost. The fuse are concerned, but they have new weapons and new ploys to bring onto the field. The Radiance won, but not without casualties. Kaladin is so broken at this point that he can barely even function as a soldier, and he's relieved of duty. I mean, we we have such a weird structure to this part one. We definitely <laughs> it's, do. It's, it's unlike any other part one that we've had in the Stormlight Archive. Yeah. It, for a little bit of context for those listening, Drew and I just now, and I mean just now, less than half an hour ago, finished recording our episodes on Oathbringer part one. And in that episode, I had just finished talking about how, because of how many times I've read The Way of Kings and Words of Radiance, even <laughs> three years later, after the fact, I'm still feeling a little bit surreal beginning Oathbringer. Can you just imagine right now how surreal this feels for me to be reading the beginning of book four of Rhythm of War, starting off, of course, with the preview chapters. I think we're up to, like, chapter 13 right now or something. 14. 14. At the, at the time of this recording, this is on October 9th. Well, for me, it's October 9th. It's 22 minutes past midnight. For you guys, it's still the 8th. Uh, reading this intro has me feeling... all. It, I don't want to say it sounds like fan fiction because that makes it sound less. It, it feels like excellent imitate like a chondra a perfect imitation of sanderson writing fanfic it's just it's so fresh and it's so exciting and 
I, I, I'm gri I find myself gripping my phone because that's what I'm reading it on right now. I'm gripping my phone harder and harder. I feel like I'm going to crack the damn thing. I'm so excited to be, di to be diving in. You know, I, I want to make very clear how ecstatic I was to receive this book as a PDF. I, I think I've been told by Drew like for a few weeks before this that we're getting advanced reading copies. And I felt like a little boy being told that Santa was going to bring him a new C-Class Mercedes. I just, I just, I did, I couldn't believe it was actually going to happen. And on October 6th, when I, the, the email arrived, I literally ran around the upstairs floor of this house. I flung open the door to the garage. I grabbed two beers out of the fridge. I had so much energy though. I had to put them down and I was just dancing around the garage for like three minutes. For those who may or may not have seen Bad Boys 2, I was doing that stupid little dance that Martin Lawrence does. After he accidentally ingests ecstasy Wait, and they're walking us. up to the captain's house and he's doing a little bit of this with wide leg stance. I must have looked like a freaking lunatic to anybody who happened to be looking out their front window at 9 p.m. Because I was doing it there in the garage and the, the, the door was open. But, oh, I was so excited. I had to, I just, it was a physical excitement that I had to, to get out there. I'm just, ah, uh, I, I can't wait to discuss the rest of this. Let's, let's, let's go forward. Let's do it. Do you remember what we did when we got it? Vaguely, I know we, we... were shocked because it came early. Yeah, yeah. When, it when did? the beta, when the yes. beta read started, it it was it was a surprise. Uh, we weren't expecting it for a couple of more days, and and we uh, opened a bottle. Yeah, we opened a a very fancy bottle of beer out of our our deep cellar. Yeah, yeah. And and had a little celebration while we started reading it. And uh, man, yeah, it's 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 pretty special. This is a special book. It's a it is another Stormlight Archive book, but like I was saying, it's a very different Stormlight Archive book. And, and, and man, I mean, this part one is just so insane from the get-go. Yeah. It's just so insane. It, it doesn't feel like I'm reading Stormlight 4 in this weird way. It feels like we have, like you said, the arrival of the fourth bridge. We have just ranks upon ranks of the Knights Radiant engaging the fused in the sky as well as on the ground. There's 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 widespread battle, it, and there's there's new device, like these technologies are being thrown in that the EMP, the, the surge-binding EMP that we see, it feels like I'm reading Stormlight 10. It honestly feels yeah. like that, or like what I expected Stormlight 10 to be. How is this already happening from the get-go in book four? I just, I'm, I'm so, I'm blown away by and, it. And, and that has been a staple of this series. He, yes. He laid it out from the get-go. He told everybody, this will be a 10-book series. And you read The Way of Kings, and there are certain events foreshadowed yep. or, or at least assumed to be happening things like the ever storm or odium's arrival and i i've said this on previous episodes you know i read the way of kings i was like okay the ever storm that's probably gonna happen in like book eight yeah no, no, no book two yeah odium showing up book three you know and now book four we have like you said all of this new stuff dropping on us right from the get-go it doesn't feel like four books into a series, but that's also because we have to remember it's really two five book series. And this book is the penultimate volume. Yep. We are getting toward the end game for the first five. Yeah. And and man is Brandon showing that in, <laughs> in these first few chapters. Yeah. I, I don't know where he's gonna go from here. How do you how exactly uh, what it was yeah. I, I don't have any ideas. 
I do, but okay. we'll, we'll get to well, that. Okay. We'll get to I that don't have any like <laughs> I've already plot ideas. Yeah, I've already talked about my predictions. I think Roshar's going to be destroyed after book five. And Odium's prison so? may be, he may be free to roam the Cosmere after that. That was my prediction in like Words of Radiance part four, I want to say, maybe. So. I mean, it's, it's just, wow. Anyway. And, and this conversation belongs in writing style because this is so unanticipated, so um, unprecedented in a series, in an epic fantasy series like this. We've had series like Miles on Book of the Fallen, The Wheel of Time, A Song of Ice and Fire, Sword of Truth, you know, these, these huge volume X series. We have never had one move like the Stormlight Archive moves. Yep. It is yeah. it is just it's truly incredible what Brandon Sanderson is doing here. It I I, <laughs> I agree so much. I agree so much. And and while we're still on style here, the opening Stormlight Mystery. We just finished talking about this, Drew and I, two hours ago, maybe two hours and change, with Joshua Harkey. Once again, shout out to Joshua. Thanks for coming on, dude. I was just talking about in that episode, the opening Stormlight Mystery that we always have. In book one, it was the girth strap. Who cut the girth strap? Who's trying to assassinate Elokar? In book two, it was the numbers on the wall. Where are these numbers coming from? Who knows the future? Who's writing them? In book three, it was, oh my god, the murders. Why are they, all these murders happening? And why do they just, uh, to, why do they mirror each other so creepily? And I almost went forward in that book, yeah. in that, sorry, in that episode saying, and in book four, it's who's writing who, to Navani? Who's, what's that? Oh, I was going to say, who's the imposter with Shallan? Oh yeah. Right? Well, that's a, that's another mystery. Or is that a, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. is that part? No, that's, that's not yes, part two. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, well. So okay. we know, you know, because Eli is killed in part one. Right. And, and Shallan, then Raze like, has somebody there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who's who's the the ghost blood spy? And that's so extra funny to me. I just wanted to say, just for some for for pop culture context and reference here. The one, probably the largest game, the biggest, most viral game going around right now for all gamers and streamers and everybody to be playing is a game called Among Us. And I just started playing this game. So for anybody who knows about this game, it's like $5, you can find it on, on Steam. It's so, so ironic that the biggest game about this kind of uh, question, it's who is the imposter? That's why I use that term, the imposter, because yeah, it just, yeah. oh, it's just, it links so well. I just, uh, I found it ironic. <laughs> yeah, we were, honestly, we were obsessed with who's writing to Navani when we started this. That's yeah, what I, I, I want to know. That, that first That's scene, I... I, I'm not going to say who my guess was. I will say I was right. Really? Were you? I don't remember. I was. If you called it, I did. Okay. You can go into the beta spreadsheet. That's look. a little more information <laughs> than I have now because I wasn't even sure if it was a single individual, but like a collective conscious of tortured Spren or something. That's oh, my I, theory. I, I, I didn't say it was. It was a single. Oh, sorry, you didn't. Person. Yeah, yeah. Right, but I'm just like this <laughs> feeling I get there. But um, I guess that's what all large spread, large scale Spren are though collective conscious or at least manifestations of collective collective conscious sure, thinking about yeah. something sure 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 um all right let's talk about the prologue let's get this out of the way let's really dive deep oh in here oh my gosh oh my god this prologue i always suspected that gavilar was a bit more realmatically aware than we gave him credit for i remember talking about this in in theory discussions on facebook on 17th shard back in the day i was not however prepared to see 
with, with at least with Gavilar, what a what a as you said, Drew, what a bag with which one douches he is. Yeah. And and then again after that, how much he actually knows about the Cosmere. I can't describe how how psyched this prologue made me while waiting for this book. And I'm strongly convinced. I mean, how can you disagree that there's a lot more about Gavilar that we are going to know and it's going to shock us? But I'm starting to suspect that he's been directly affected by some risky experiments or whatever you want to call it with the spiritual, mainly with like identity or perhaps connection and fortune for too long, entirely too long. We've been hearing about his entire personality and how it changed near the end of his life. This may be more of a, maybe I should say this for spoiler discussion or not spoiler but theory crafting discussion but here we see this on full display there's something not right about Gavilar about this guy and I love how much it gives us to theorize about how much it gives us to discuss and this is I will say this hands down my favorite of the four Stormlight prologues it might be my favorite I'll say it it's my favorite Sanderson prologue ever I love it that's high praise coming from you who loved the prologue of Steelheart. I mean, I loved it, but you can't, you can't compare that to this. I mean, you can, you can compare it in terms of just like aesthetic and sheer talent, but in terms of scope and meaning, you can't compare the two. You just can't. It was everything that that was, but better. I, I will say, I, I'm not sure this is my favorite prologue. Uh, it's, Either this or Words of Radiance is my favorite prologue, which is actually very interesting because um, either this or Words of Radiance is my least favorite part one overall. Mm. My favorite part ones are Oathbringer and Way of Kings. And then probably this part one and then Words of Radiance. But that's but that's mostly because Words of Radiance's part one is so small. There's just not much that happens. Right. Um, you know, like, you, you know when, I, when I talk about the structures of these things with Words of Radiance, mostly it's like just setting up the Kaladin, you know, um, his eventual struggle with adhering to his ideals and the coming fight with the, you know, with Zeth. And then with Shallan, it's setting up her journey to the Shattered Plains and discovery of Urethiru, and and you know she has her climax with the 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 ship and the Ghostbloods killing Yasna, and and Kaladin has his little minor climax, like super super minor climax about uh, you know his his internal yeah kind of struggle, um, and and with this it's a much more substantial you know I it's probably twice as long as Part One in Words of Radiance. Um, but, but it just, perhaps because of the structure in it, I, I didn't love it as much. It, it ended on a very... Do you mean the whole, the prologue or the whole part? Part Okay. Okay. It ended on a hollow note. And I don't mean that in like a bad, like there was no substance to it way. It was in a, I felt hollow afterward. It felt like I had just finished reading a book. You know, it, it, when you, you finish reading a, a, a good book and you, you, you close that final page and you put the book down and you kind of just sit there and you just yeah. feel empty yep. for a minute. It felt like that at the end of part one. And that was rough for me to, to grapple with 
Because at the end of part one of a book, you should want to feel like, oh, heck yeah, let's go. Part two, let's let's move on. You know, like, and I didn't feel that grip to drag me forward in this. And I will say, I was I was nervous after I finished part one. I was nervous I wasn't going to like this book. Now, really, we'll, we'll we'll get into that as we get further into the book. But but as far as part one goes, yeah, not not my favorite part one he's done in Stormlight. As far as prologue goes, it's up there. Started off with a bang. Okay, so about the prologue, yeah. I wanted to say I really felt, even though we got more information on Gavilar, I really felt dismissive of him because of the rude way he acted. Like, it, it was, to me, it was like, oh yeah, Gavilar is over there doing his thing, but yep. Navani Ooh. is going to have her moment. And we're starting right here, where she has no confidence at all in herself. How many times does she say, I'm no scholar, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm no anything, I'm just the wife. Yeah. You know? Yep. And it really set up a build for her, for her character, which is really exciting to me, especially since she's clearly put herself in the corner with Gavilar. Yeah. I deal with I deal with the things that he messes up and that's it. We don't, you know, I'm not in the big picture. Yeah. For everything else, he had Navani. I love that recurring line. It's just I mean, just aesthetically, it's it's brilliant. I loved this prologue. Yes. Yeah. Um and then my my only other real style note here um is just how he uses point of view. Uh, reading through part one, it's man, Brandon Sanderson has gotten so good. He he just keeps getting better as it like on a technical level as a writer. This guy wields third person limited point of view, and I'm not going to say he's like the that. best at it. Uh, I, I still think Robert Jordan has him edged out on that. I think uh, I, I think some guys like Glenn Cook and, and Matthew Stover. I think um, uh, Ursula Le Guin was a little better, but but Brandon. I mean, if he if he keeps this up, give him a couple of Stormlight books, and this guy's going to be right on that level. He is getting so good at using point of view, establishing a character's voice in that point of view. The language used is so deliberate. When you, when you're in Navani's head, you have lines like she describes Dalinar. She describes him as immutable as math. Yeah. No character other than Navani would use those words. Or maybe perhaps yeah. Yasna, but even then, yeah, I can see what you're saying. It's, it's no. a narrative filter. It's, yeah, it's it, he's so good at voice now. And he was not always that good. If I think back to reading Mistborn, The Final Empire, and, and, and what he did with point of view there, the major point of view characters in The Final Empire really felt and sounded a lot alike. If I go back to sure. Elantris, one of those characters was, was pretty you know, standout, but the other two point of view characters really felt a lot alike when you were in their heads. <clears throat> it, that is just plain not the case anymore. He, he has really nailed what each of the major point of view characters in the Stormlight Archive feel and 
and act and sound like. It's man, as as a as a fan of Brandon Sanderson and as a writer who's been an active, you know, uh, uh, and growing writer for the entire career Brandon's had. Like I, I was I was working on my own fiction years before Brandon published his first book and I read him. As I read through his books, as he keeps publishing, it blows me away how much this guy just improves, 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 improves. It, and there's, there doesn't seem to be any plateau. It's just getting no. better and better and better, and it's not slowing down. He's like 25 books into his career, and they just keep getting better. How is he? Is he that many in? Oh, my God. It's got to be close to that. I, was, I would have guessed like 17 to 20. 25? I mean, he's got he's got six Mistborn books, four Stormlight books. Um, Lantris, Warbreaker is 12. Warbreaker, Elantris. What, five Alcatraz books, three oh. Reckoners books. I never, yeah, that's right. I never, two, I never remember Two Skyward and Starsight. Rhythmatist. And this isn't even going into novellas like Shadows for Silence, Mistborn Secret It History, is pretty impressive to Edge see that Dancer, page. In the PDF, listing other works by Brandon Sanderson, and like this dude is so young, relatively speaking. Much less the three Wheel of Time books he wrote. Yeah. Oh my God, Wheel of Time he finished. Yeah, dude, it's like what? He's written forty three, forty four at this point. Ooh, I, I mid forties, somewhere in mid forties. But, but yeah, like he's he's written so 44. many books, and yeah. they just keep getting better. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. And again, it's surreal that's, to see that's it a hell happen. of an inspiration for me it, as a writer. It really feels special to watch it happen in real time. Because other yeah. I mean, other readers are going to be reading this decades in the future, and they're going to be talking a lot about these same things, I hope. But to watch it happen as it's as it's happening, it's just it's so special. I'm so glad that I was born. This is so weird, it feels cheesy to say. I was so I'm so <laughs> glad I was born in time to watch Brandon Sanderson grow as a writer and to experience these things as they were published. I mean, I gave my nephew, uh, my, when he turned one year old, <laughs> I gave my nephew, I spent like 180 bucks on it and all of Sanderson's books that were released up to that point. Oh my goodness. It was everything in his career up until I, I want to say shadows of self. I think that was when it was like 2015. Yeah, it would have and been October, day, no, November of 2015. himself as the favorite uncle. <laughs> yeah, I, I bought him like one year old, and I bought him like 14 books, and I, I had a personal inscription on the on the front of each book talking about why this one's awesome and why oh he's gonna gosh. like it. That is just been like just since then, it's been like 10 more books released. It's been like and, six years, five years yeah. since then. Yeah, and and he's young enough to keep going in his career. You know, we've got authors like George R. R. Martin who. Yep. I don't know if he's going to finish the series. He's I've heard older. that he sentiment expressed in. You know, He'll write that, other books, but he won't finish A Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, yeah. I doubt well, Patrick Rothfuss is going to finish. He's clearly going to write his own books. And dude, he's only his mid 40s, I think, Pat Rothfuss, too. Yeah, yeah, he's, cer- he's certain, a young guy. He's a young there's guy. certain he's authors where you just lose, stuff, lose faith in, and, and it is not Brandon Sanderson. But anyway, right, right. as far as writing style and rhythm of work. Yeah. Do you do you have any more notes, Rob? Or do you have any notes more? I know about this writing was, style. Yeah, this was pretty like spur of the moment for you joining this episode. So <laughs> I I have more to say on the other parts. Yeah, I, for I, writing I style. Figured, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I just 
Yeah, and, and and for those listening, Lauren was a beta reader on this book as well, so we're, we're not like you know breaking NDAs or, or anything by <laughs> talking about this yeah. early. I myself just signed that NDA <laughs> two days ago, and I'm like treading on eggshells here. Um, I'm super yeah. uh, paranoid that I'm going to start talking about things that happened in part two because in my current reading, I'm actually at I'm on part two, and so yeah. when I was writing doing my notes for part one, a couple times I found myself writing something and I went, oh damn, is that oh no. And I couldn't even tell. I, was like, I can't remember. It kind of fuzzes together these past yeah, couple the, of days. Yeah, the last things That's in why part one it. for each of the characters, uh, uh, Dalinar and, and Yasna and the Mink set out a new battle plan yes, yeah. to concentrate on Emul instead of Alephkar. Um, Adelin and Shalon have been set up to head into Shadesmar to yep. go recruit more honor spren. And at the last moment, Beryl is switched in for mm-hmm. somebody on their uh, yep. retinue. Yep. And Kaladin yep. decides to be a surgeon once again, resume his training with Liren. Yep. Well, okay, remind me where we are in that. Did he go back and see Liren? Yeah, yeah. The the last line with Kaladin in this part was him telling Liren, it's about time I resume my training. Yep. Okay. And then, and then, yeah, the last thing with Venli was uh, the scene with Raboniel announcing this new plan, yeah. and and then Venli talking with Leshwi about the potential for a listener nation, and Leshwi was like, sort of sympathetic, but also like, you need to shut your mouth. No, this isn't happening right now, and do not tell anybody else about this. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I just mean like there were so. there were a couple of points where I started to write down. And I realized, uh oh, I think that's part two, and then I erased. You know, wasn't going wasn't going to talk about. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. real quick though, I'd also uh, I I I'd written I'd all, like a little bit about Brandon's respectful approach to writing from the point of view of depression riddled characters, and I I ended up. Uh, moving that talking point to my notes about Kaladin himself, so yeah, I'll, I'll save that for when we get to characters. Um, yeah, I, and then uh, do we have points about Zeth that we're going to discuss? Because I have point, uh, just one real quick thing about Zeth and how that relates. But let's 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 just kick off with Kaladin. How about that? Yeah. Okay. okay. Remind me of that because I'm going to forget about that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, well, if you if your Zeth point relates to Kaladin, then then let's just start. No. It's just about like the, the writing somebody who's depressed and and like the aesthetic oh, involved. Okay. So I figured I couldn't decide if that was style or maybe it's like a Zeth point, but I don't know how much about <laughs> Zeth we're going to be discussing. Definitely a gray area. I mean, I have I have nothing to say about Zeth in in this part. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's start with well, Kaladin. Kaladin. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, it it is hard to read Kaladin. Yeah. Uh, at this point, this is this is a, a really struggling person and probably the hardest part of this to read was those first couple chapters after they get back to Urethiru and Dalinar tells Kaladin look you know this is the right this is the right move we need to take you off the front lines and Syl like Syl is so worried she no, is. It's heartbreaking to, to read. Somebody as innocent and care well, not carefree. Well, at times she is carefree. She's a windsprint. To see Syl hurting so much for somebody and trying to help them to no avail, it it, it hurts to, to read even from her, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, 
I mean, she she keeps bringing up the you know, how he's not sleeping. Yes. And and uh, yeah, it, it is it is definitely just just how many people around him recognize that something isn't right, and his. I mean, he knows it too. He knows it deep down. But he's trying so hard to not accept it and, and to put on a, you know, put on a mask for the people around him because he doesn't want them to worry about him. And and he doesn't want to worry about himself. You know, that's just not Kaladin, right? He's so outwardly focused. He wants to worry about other people. Yeah. And this is, man, this is something that he, he's got to work on. Yeah, and, like and Dalinar yeah. made the right move. He really did make the right move, saying, "Look, you need to stop worrying about other people, and you need to look inward. Yeah, figure out yourself." I can see why Dalinar did what he did, and I can agree with it. I can see also why Kaladin would be indignant at first, and then just um, accepting, but all the more depressed for it. I can I can see both sides, and the fact that Brandon managed to give us reason to do so, I thought was was. I mean, speaks for itself. It is a real bummer to read from Calvin's point of view in these early chapters. I mean, he's at such a low point in his life, despite the fact that, you know, on paper he shouldn't be. There's, there, there's, a, there's a particular breakdown that he has when he's alone in his rooms, and that, that really resonated with me. Um, but despite the fact that, as, you know, as, everything the younger fan in me might find interesting was kind of removed. Like his position, his friends, his self-confidence. He still reads more relatable, in my opinion, right now than he ever has before. And I, I, like, I, I want to say that I think Brandon is very clearly writing his depression with respect. It's clear that he's doing the necessary homework. And though it, it hurts Kaladin, or sorry, it hurts me to see Kaladin go through it, I can't imagine it's... Um, I can't imagine it's, it's it's strengthening for a lot of readers to read, and it will be in the re- in the weeks to come. Yeah, and I, I hope so. Yeah, and we had a conversation, honestly, in Oathbringer, where it was you know it was pretty clear that Kaladin is going to need some help here, and as far as we know, at the beginning of this book, Roshar doesn't really have mental health therapy in the way that we think about it. So I was just kind of like, wait a second, how, how is he going to get help here in this yeah. book? What you options know? does he have? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think magic is ever going to be the fix for his head. No, I think you a know? lot of people so, would, be, would be a little taken aback if it was. And I think, I mean, he's been honest about that before, that this is part of a yeah. character. This is not an affliction uh, that, that, that mm-hmm. a magic can heal so much as it is, it's part of who they are. You know? Yeah, it's it it really is um a great move on Brandon's part to not treat his depression as something that just like, oh, your life got a little better, you got a new job, you got magic, whatever. Oh, your depression's gone. No, like because that's not how it works. You know, like it, it, it it's if you're clinically depressed, that's part of you. And, and and that's always something you're gonna have to grapple with. So 
Brandon didn't take the easy way out. And, and I've read some other authors who've had depressed characters who had... <laughs> oh, the cat's, uh, uh, it's hard to talk about now. depression with, with gravity while there's a kitty making everybody very happy yeah. in the background there. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but like I've read some other authors who've had characters with depression and they have events happen to them like Kaladin did. You know, they, they achieved a new rank. They, they found the magical artifact. They, they discovered their new powers, whatever. Depression gone. You know, and, yeah. and it just. It's not an equation that can be solved. I appreciate say. how Brandon is approaching writing mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah. How and about, it seems uh, like he has some good examples or some good input yeah, and, in that and, realm. And I like how, specifically with Kaladin, even though there isn't therapy. You know, Kaladin can't go to a licensed, you know, psychologist or or, or a therapist or, or anything like that. He can't go and get a prescription for antidepressants. But he, in his own way, is seeking out that kind of therapy anyway. He's he's going and, and looking for Zale. Yeah. 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 Yep, yep, he is. I can't wait to talk, talk about, about that. that? And, and yeah, Later. by the way, chapter 15, one of my all-time favorite chapters Brandon oh my God. has ever written. Just wait um, a half an hour until we get to this freaking scene, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but uh, Brandon is writing a fantasy world in which broken people with, with real issues are trying to find healthy ways to handle those issues and making it in its own way relatable for people, real people, who may be wrestling with the same mental health issues as as Kaladin or or Teft or Shalon or you know, giving examples in his secondary fantasy world of how you can find healthy ways to deal with your own struggles. You know, it's it's just. It's pretty special. It's inspiring. Yes. Yeah, it really is. It's ambitious as hell, and and <laughs> ballsy. And I'm not going to say he's done it perfectly, but he's done a pretty darn good job. Yeah, I, I yeah. myself can't find a flaw. So, all right. Any Shall more on Kaladin? Into Kaladin, okay. Uh, okay, or, maybe predictions for Kaladin. What do you sure? Well, what do you think? Oh, see, I'm finding it very hard though because I have read most of part two as well. Um, I, I, you know what? I'll just give you the predictions I would have had three days ago. Um, I think in this book, Kaladin is going to face and confront his fourth ideal. The fourth ideal is going to be: I will forgive myself for those I fail, or something very similar. That's the sentiment that we, it's, it's, a, it's an occurring theme, a reoccurring theme that we see happening. And so as somebody who's only read the preview chapters and then just in the past couple of days up to midway or to the near the end of part two, Kaladin is going to swear the fourth ideal in this book and it will be something along the lines of, I will forgive myself for those I fail. So you think he's going to find some sort of help? 
No, because uh, the Radiant has to know that in his heart. It has to come to him in a moment of no, need. No, no, no. Right? I, I mean for his, for what he's going through. Oh. Uh, yeah, although I wouldn't have known where the source was coming from. I Because I, I myself don't think that Brandon would treat this as something that... This is me from three days ago speaking, by the way, because for obvious reasons. But, like, I would have said, no, um... I wouldn't feel really quite comfortable with Kaladin just finding his own way and suddenly miraculously curing that, as we were just talking about. I think he does need help. I can't imagine where it's going to come from. But, yeah. I mean, okay. it, it's, it's, it seems very respectful to, to at least show that it's not shameful to accept help, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, he's, he's got his own, you know, struggle when... He does have people trying to help him, but he also has people trying to hinder him. Oh my goodness. When he's got Moash down in the basement. Can you consider Moash as people though? To that. Is he a person? <laughs> really? Oh my goodness. Uh, I mean He's uh, a mess. He's yeah, a mess. Yeah. Uh, trying to convince Kaladin to commit Yeah. Suicide. Yeah, that, I mean The less said about Moash the better, I think, right now at least. Mm, before I I wonder I wonder if anything will happen with Moash to make anybody sympathize the way we do with, you know, other characters with yeah, mental well, health issues. I've been saying going into book two, sorry, going into book three, after book two, sometime in like you know, the, the weeks before Oathbringer came out, I thought Moash was going to have a redemption arc. That's what I thought it was. I thought he's he's turned away from Kaladin at the end of the book, uh, at Words of Radiance. He's going to find his way and have a huge redemption moment, maybe even sacrifice himself at the last minute change of mind for Kaladin and redeem himself in some way. Yep. And boy, did that not happen. I was with you. Oh, I at the thought. end of Oathbringer? You thought that was going to happen at the end of Oathbringer? Yeah, I thought Oathbr with the end of Oathbringer, Moash is going to complete his redemption arc. And I was, oh my god, at the end of part three... I was, I, I don't think I'd ever had a visceral hate. Uh, Sadius at the end of The Way of Kings was close, I think. I think yeah, Sadius yeah. at the end of Way of Kings was close, but the fact that, that Alucard was there in the middle of swearing his first ideal, and then that happened. It was oh so unforgivable. And in that moment, I hated Brandon a little bit. I did. <laughs> in that moment, well, I honestly did. I feel about that scene. And he's got a I certainly son. didn't hate Brandon. But I definitely... I, I mean, I realized it was irrational. I don't actually hate Brandon. That's mostly yeah. a joke. But in that moment, I was like, why? I can articulate and, exactly. And he's holding his son. His yeah. little, little son. Trying to protect his son. He's holding his yeah. son. Yeah. He's, he's got a sword in one hand, and he's got his son in the other. So, and he's flipping through the pages, and he's me? trying to speak the first ideal. He's looking at himself, like, that Shalon drew. I get that you're mad at him, but you were... Were you going to spear the kid, too? Like, w what is wrong so, with you? Do we have yeah. any more about Kaladin for part one? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. So before we get we continue with our Moash uh, abusing here, um, I, I want to say I'm really... Com uh, sorry. Uh, I'm really uncomfortable with the idea of Kaladin giving ultimatums to the Honor Spren, trying to force them to bond Relaine. Yes. Yeah. It it kind of smacks too much of problems that I had in Oathbringer. If you if you're listening to this uh, when it's released, go back to Oathbringer Part Three. 
I think it is, when Dalinar is treating the Stormfather so just irreverently at times. And even then, I'm like, I was already shaking my head. You know, I treat my pet, my, like my five-year-old Husky and my 13-year-old Russian Blue, I treat them far better than Dalinar treats the Stormfather at times in Oathbringer. You know, it's, it's kind of like, give me what I need or shut up, or, and now shut up. And when the Stormfather has reservations about certain things, Dalinar just tells him, for lack of a better phrase, you know, get over it. This feels a lot to me kind of like that, with Kaladin trying to force a bond between two entities that he, of all people, should know can only happen organically, naturally. It feels and like... I was, I was very grateful that Relaine called him out on it. Yes, yes, it's like trying to speed up the growth of a tree by pulling it upwards. You're, you're just going to rip the roots, the entire foundation upon it, like it, that it has to rely. So when Relaine did that, mm-hmm. despite being ecstatic over Kaladin finding an honor spread for him to bond, mm-hmm. he turns down that opportunity. I just wanted to give Relaine a big old hug. I was like, good man, that, that was the right move. Yeah. And it, and it was hard. Yeah. It wasn't easy, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Any more about Kaladin? Or shall we move on to uh, his one on one with Zyle? Well, you know, I'm just yeah, gonna talk about that in, talk in the. About uh, that. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna save my cover, points about that. Yeah. Yeah, let's cover that later in the episode. Okay. Um, yeah. So with Shalom. Okay. The the big thing the big thing with her in in this is clearly her uh, status with the three, and oh. and the revelation that there are potential further personalities bubbling below the surface and we mm-hmm. have this this formless that is possibly emerging and and uh, man it's it's rough to read some of those scenes with with Adeline like you, you have to feel for the guy half the time yeah. two thirds of the time he's not there with his wife and his more. wife is somebody yeah. else. And, and they've been married for, what, a year now? Yeah, yeah, about a year. And that's just, I mean, that's heartbreaking to me. And Adeline is, you know, maybe, maybe we just have to talk about Shalon and Adeline together because so much of them in this part is, is pretty inextricably tied. Sure. Um, he is such a wonderful human being. He, he he's great with Kaladin. He's he's incredibly for, uh, just just supportive for Shalon, even when she maybe doesn't really deserve it. And 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 he's just patient when she's reverting to another personality that isn't exactly treating their marriage with respect. Oh my goodness! And 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 oh man, that is it's what Shalon is doing. Like the, you know, obviously there's a good reason for it, or at least a rational in its own irrational way. There is a reason for why she's doing what she's doing. But at its root, it's pretty selfish, and it's it's tough on on the people around her. You know, like. I could not imagine, um, you know, what it would be like to be in Adeline's shoes there. You know, when, when they're out at a, a, a tavern, you know, at a celebration, and she's just becoming different people next to him, and, and one moment she's being affectionate, and the next moment she's, like, 
ogling the waitress. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I'm you glad know, that you did. And, uh, yeah, it's I making mean, Adeline they're, uncomfortable. They're pretty, like, they're pretty pretty overt signs in that chapter that Vale, at least, has bisexual inclinations. Yeah. And, and Adeline has shown you know no inclination to open up a marriage or a relationship. Yeah. He's pretty freaking devoted to Shalon. And she has this cavalier way in Vale's persona of disrespecting that. And that's just that's just really, really rough. It's really rough. I opening scene with Shalon, I was so Worried about her. I mean, I was worried at the end of Oathbringer, but even more so now. And then worried about their marriage and worried about Adolin. Oh my goodness. Like, I think about where we were after a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm really concerned. And I yeah. think they need a marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and unfortunately, we just got finished talking about how there aren't licensed therapists. Oh in, my goodness. It's in, too uh, bad that doesn't exist on Roshar, yeah. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, you're right. Like, they need, they need counseling. The, there's, there are cracks in their relationship. I'd say Shalon needs counseling more than Adolin. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> certainly. But I'm not going to yes. say Adolin doesn't. I mean, he clearly has issues. Oh, yeah, he admits to uh, His relationship with his father is fracturing. Oh, Now that goodness. these revelations, you know, have, have come out, now that he knows that Dalinar killed Evie, now that he, he knows really what kind of a monster Dalinar was, and he's he's acting out. I mean, he really is acting out in opposition to his father. And Shalon's not there for him. Yeah. She's not, not really. her half the time. No, just just Adeline's yeah. damaged relationship with his father and how he he is rebelling against any comparisons people are making between him. You know, like when when understandably, yeah. like he's he's no longer proud to be considered his father's son. You know, it's, well, I would uh, still argue that he is in a way because he because he had, he fully admits that yeah. Dalinar that he's glad he would not have any like Dalinar in any other form in any other way. As yeah, he is right but, now, but but he doesn't want to be viewed in that light anymore, and and he's he's really struggling with yeah, the idea. I would of agree. It. He's definitely struggling with that for um, sure. And so yeah, like they both really, they both need every everybody in this book needs a therapist. Yep. But, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, let's go back to imagine that how much money you can Sill. make. All, all the way back in... Imagine how in much money you make going to Roshar as a licensed psychologist. They were all broken, silly. Yes. They were all broken. Oh my God. That's yeah. what they all were. So I'm going to rant about Shalon now for a minute. Or five. <laughs> okay. Hey, remember how in The Way of Kings, and even more recently and exhaustively on Words of Radiance, I bitched for a few minutes on end about Shalon's frailty and her refusal to face her past... And uh-huh. how it frustrated me, particularly because of the kind of clue-hunting reader that I am, to be so close to learning something again and again. Something that our point-of-view character already knows, but refuses to think of. Guess what, everybody? I am back to hating Shalon. Oh my god. Well, it's we, so... we already got a, a, some Kaladin predictions out of the way. Let's let's get a Shalon prediction or two. Oh, just let me finish bitching first, because I still want to. I want to 
stick my teeth in here. It's so obnoxious at times. I was complaining because this happens several times in, in book two, and several in this case, meaning three or four separate times. But oh my god, in this in this book, not only is she having entire conversations inside her own head, which obviously as, as itself I don't have a problem with, but each and every one of these personalities is giving her reason multiple times to shy back to retreat, to force another one to take over. Not only is she returning to these dangerous thoughts on her own, but now Vale is accidentally reminding her of it. And Radiant is accidentally reminding her of it. And Pattern is still accidentally reminding her of it. No joke, I would be surprised if Shalon hasn't approached that threshold of facing truth like 150 times in the first part of this book. Like, it seems like twice per page. That she has a thought, or Radiant, or Vale has a thought that's just too dangerous to think about. I'm just, I'm so over it. I am so over it at this point. All right, rant done. Okay. Well, Predictions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know I where want, to begin. I, I want to know. What do you? What do you Formless think is, is going is to take over at one point. What, what is Sorry. she shying away from so hard? I can't even imagine. What could be more horrifying than murdering both of her parents? You guys are smirking at each other right now, and I love it. It's like it hurts, but I love it. What? Mm. Drew's got the like eating popcorn, watching your face look on. I know. What could be worse than murdering both of your parents? I don't know. Did she have a younger sibling that she also then murdered? Was her mother? <gasps> was her mother pregnant? <laughs> I don't. Know. Oh my god! I don't. I can't imagine what this could possibly be. We do get some more. Wait, I'm not going to go into those because that could be part two. But I don't even. Be, I can't even begin to form an opinion or a, or a theory as to what could be more horrifying than that, and what we still have yet to learn about a, a nine-year-old child or eleven-year-old child, something like that. Drew, hmm. hmm. hear the worst. Hmm. Well, I'll say this: I also predicted this accurately. You did. You did. Oh no, I'm trying to think now what we've discussed about Shalon. I don't know if I've ever discussed this with you. Hmm. I yeah, I, I, I don't even... Uh, formless, I want to talk about Formless real quick. She's clearly... Okay. Formless is going to become a character that takes over Shalon. And it's going to be at the worst possible time. Maybe at the end of a part or when something serious happens. And it's going to be a big deal. And formless. I don't know what formless is going to do. I actually didn't. Pre I did not prepare obviously any predictions from part one to part five. <laughs> I have a whole boatload of predictions from Oathbringer well, into Rhythm of War. That's why we're, that's why we're doing about. this as you're reading through. I just realized though that when we do get to Oathbringer part four, my predictions for that episode are probably going to be a little different now that by that point I'm going to actually have recorded and oh yeah we, we won't be able to do predictions for, for yeah this for is going to be weird for me yeah. yeah but we'll do when we get to Rhythm of War part 5 we'll do both of us will do predictions for the rest of Stormlight oh, I just feel like what if I had some excellent predictions <laughs> from Oathbringer that actually do come true in Rhythm of War and I just I can't say them after that because it'll sound like I already read it I don't oh. I have a lot of predictions coming out of Oathbringer that I guess I can't. I can't. Well, you can, you can crow about predictions that you get right. I mean, we've already set a precedent. True, true. I do have a habit of doing that, don't I? <laughs> All right, I like it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, um, I've discussed Adolin already as well. Um, yeah. Who else we do you want to discuss? Definitely on and Adolin there. Um, <laughs> uh, Venley. 
We haven't talked about oh. Venley yet. Okay, somebody else I didn't have time to write notes about, but I can riff on this one. Venley. I mostly like her. Um, okay. She... How do I put this? She's got good ideas, though I don't fully buy the motivations behind them. She is a little self-centered, and she's always been self-centered. I mean, every ever since we met Venley, she was always a little, uh, a little too mm, corrupt. You know, uh, in words of radiance, and then even in Oathbringer, when she starts changing as a person, uh, which you know, for the better, for sure. But she still has this flaw of an inherent selfishness, and 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 I like that she wants to you know start her own you know renewed listener nation, but I I worry a little too much about. Um, how how self focused that is, especially since we we know very clearly here she is a will shaper, she is a night radiant, she she absolutely has bonded timber, you know she's she's sworn uh, an ideal, uh, you know she's she's uh, she's on that route. And she really needs to figure some stuff out before she's going to get further. I'll mm. say that. I mean, and also, what she wants is unrealistic. And she knows it at some level. But she's still trying to get, you know, momentum going. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting to have her um, point of view. Like, as, as an opposing to our human point of views that we've had you know, mm-hmm. in depth for so long. Yeah. I just yeah. wish it could have still been Eshenai. I prefer to Eshenai. Yeah. I, I don't know, after having just reread Words of Radiance, and and now we're reading, you know, Oathbringer and Rhythm War at the same time, I don't. I like but what if you had all of Oathbringer for extra context about Eshenai as well as what you had in Words of Radiance? Yeah, but... It, that would just reinforce where I'm at. Oh. Uh, I rereading Words of Radiance, I like Eshonai less. That's that's the big thing. Really? And and I she's she's just kind of boring to me. She's bland. And uh, and Venli is very much not that. Venli is an interesting character. She's but you've had much more complex than Ven- uh, than Esh and I. You know, you've had it, so much more page time with Venley. Of course, you can say that. No, I haven't. Sure, Venley's. I've had. Oh, oh, with Venley. Sorry, I thought you said Esh and I. Sorry, yeah, you've had much more page time with Venley, so of course, I think that you'd yeah. have more context and therefore more reason to like her right. or find but, her more. But engaging. I'm I'm glad for that. <laughs> from sure. from I suppose. from Venley's chapters in Oathbringer and. And Ashenai's chapters and Words of Radiance, I think Venli is the more interesting character, and I very much understand why Brandon killed off Ashenai and chose to use Venli as the vehicle for that particular thematic plotline going forward. 
Oh, I don't agree with that at all. I really <laughs> wish it had been Eshenai. Interesting. Okay. Eshenai was just too direct. She was too straightforward. And Venli's motivations are more complex, more layered, and she has more opportunity for uh, like a dynamic character arc. Eshenai was was there already. She was she. I don't know. I'll say this. I think it's based on first impressions because in Words of Radiance, Eshenai was already multi-dimensional in a way, whereas Venli in Words of Radiance was, as you previously put it in a few episodes, Drew, yep. on uh, talking about other antagonists, a little mustache-twirlingly evil. That's how I felt about Eshenai in Words of Radiance. That was my first impression. So not Eshenai, Venli, Venli yeah. in Words of Radiance. And by then, Eshenai was already still multi-dimensional, and so that was my... That's why, I don't know, maybe that's why I was like, I was, I was really, really bummed in Oathbringer when she was just killed off right away. I, I was like, what? Uh, okay, okay, Venli, interesting, weird, but I would have preferred Eshenai, and still to this day, I, I was a little more invested in Eshenai. Yeah. Um, so, honestly, I relate to Eshenai a lot more than I relate to Venli. Mm. I think you understand why, Drew. Yeah, I definitely do. Yeah, so, so the, I think that contributes to why I prefer her. I mean, it's still so heartbreaking. She has this moment in Words of Radiance where she's talking to their mother, and her their mother doesn't know who she is. Yeah. Right? Like, that was so much more personal and intimate than anything I've seen out of Ventley. You know? Yeah. I just... I mean, Eshenai is so interested in the wider world. Yeah. It, it just... She wants to explore. She's fun. She's fun. And that is she's the one that discovered human, the humans, right? And humanity, <laughs> the the Alethi. It was it was Eshenai that found them, right? Or they found Eshenai, one of those two. Yeah, I I would be doing things like her. Hmm. I you know I would be running off or. I don't know. It 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 seems really boring to live in a, in the same village, in the same spot, going nowhere, and knowing at the same time that there is other stuff out there. Especially after they meet everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, as far as reading Vanley goes, though, like, I'm far more interested in reading Vanley just for the information that we get about right. the Fused and about what, what the enemy is doing and about what the hell Moash is up to. Like, that's why I'm interested in reading Vanley's point of view. But when I see Vanley's name at the beginning of a chapter, I just, like, it, about her herself, I'm like, meh. Oh, I am not the same way at all. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of with you. Sweet. And and mm. I don't see her ideas as... She, she hasn't thought them all the way through. Yeah, but maybe well, Venley is, changes my mind. That is definitely true. Maybe that Venley is. changes my mind in this book. You never know. I never know. You guys probably know. I don't know. All right. <laughs> uh, Navani? Can we discuss Navani real quick? Well, I mean, uh, well obviously we gotta... She's, she's a major character in this section. Yeah. I always so love reading Navani. Like she's she's got yeah. such an interesting context through which to view the world. The most powerful woman in a society dominated by men. Her like her her intellect, her curiosity, her devotion to Dalinar and her nephews, as well as to the memory now the memory of her son. You know, every time I see her name begin a chapter, I'm excited for what's coming. And that was even before the big mystery of. Who is this damn spren that is creepily writing to, to her and threatening her? You know, oh, I love that mystery. It's so creepy. Is it a spren? What's that? 
that's I assume it's a spren because it's threatening her and it knows that she's torturing other spren and it feels like it's emotionally invested in that. I would I just assumed it was a spren. Okay. You guys are <laughs> grinning so evilly right now. True. <laughs> Because it's just like, mm, okay. I like, okay, let, let's just talk about this mystery real quick then. Okay. It's like yeah. sentient books that can respond to your thoughts in writings. It's kind of a weak spot for me. I mean, there's obvious, there's the obvious examples like Tom Riddle from the Chamber of Secrets, the Harry yes. Potter. Um, there's also, for those who've dabbled in it, the Sword of Truth, uh, book nine, Chainfire, uh, where I, uh, I think I read what may be the scariest single thing I've ever read. It's very, very similar. It's tied very close to this. Like, and this is in the same territory. Not just cryptic and spooky words, but written. And not just written and left as a message, but watching them written in real time. And you don't know where this thing is, or what it sees, or what it knows. And look, it's just, it's, it, I'm shivering right now. It's just so well done. Well, why, why communicate in that way? Yeah. Why, why? why leave a message that way? Why not just? straight up talk to her because maybe it's in the cognitive realm I don't know again this goes into my, my there's an assumption that it's a spren doing that and that it's emotionally invested in the fact that she's imprisoning spren and did it or they put the span right there I don't know but it has to it, it I mean it, it's still functioning as a span read, it's a fabrial, and so there has to be something involved with the cognitive, I believe, and transference of that information. I don't know, actually. I'm really, I'm kind of at sea on this one. But I just, I just, something tells me it's a spren. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm sure that, that Paul. I'm going to hate listening to this episode in like three days from now. I'm going <laughs> to hate listening to this. <laughs> I'm going to be like, oh my god, Rob, you dumbass. Shut up. Okay. I'm sure that pot of hers was heavily guarded. How in the world? That's it. It has to be from a different well, realm. But where they're but not guarding it from. On, on the subject of Navani's character here. Okay, let's talk so about character. We, yep. we have we have a pretty solid character conflict set up in the prologue, where she refuses to view herself as a scholar. She's like, no, I just dabble. I'm a patron. I, in the prologue I'm, of this book. Yeah. Yeah. She says she always says I'm not a I scholar. thought it was Gavilar that tore her down with that. I, I can, like Well, he does, yeah, oh, but she yes. does she too. tells that to Adolin. Okay, I must have missed that detail. Okay, cuz I remember her I saying mean, this that this has to, been a defining you know She says this before uh, in other books I, like she's identification. Just, yeah, she finds their true geniuses and then she, you know, waters them yeah. like a seed, yeah. I didn't yeah. realize that had been a throwaway and, line in this part. And, okay. and we are seeing early in this book how that really isn't true. How so many of the ideas... Yes, she, she is being a patron. She is helping enable other brilliant minds. But she also <clears throat> is providing ideas. And yep. she has the knowledge, and she has the expertise. She is helping these people in much more ways than just, oh, here's some money, go think for a bit. She's actively working with them. Mm. And, and and it's... It, I mean, it's it's fun to watch as it happens, but it's also frustrating because she doesn't see herself from the outside. Exactly. She doesn't realize what she's doing. Exactly, and this may be a stylistic point, 
But if I may, I, I want to say that this is another way in which to, to use your words, Drew, that Brandon wields third-person point of view. Because yeah. Navani doesn't consider herself a genius. But when you get that remove, when you enter someone else's head and you get to see how they view her, they are always very complimentary. They are always like 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 Adeline Delinar. They're always the first ones to think. Yes, she doesn't she doesn't give herself enough credit. Yeah. Yeah. She absolutely she, I, does not. I mean, humility is one thing, but this is belittling herself. Yeah. 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 And and this is. Do we think this could have been left over uh, damage? Like, like I want, said, from Gavilar. Like I said, every character needs a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> Navani needs a therapist too. She needs somebody to sit her down and be like, look. Stop breaking yourself down. <laughs> Accept who you are. You know, like you are important. Yeah. Yep. You are valuable. Yeah. So. My last Navani point was just one thing she did near the very end of part one that made me go, "Oh my God, no, 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 no!" When she gave the strange void light sphere to her engineers. Trust issues aside. Not like, like trying to and uh, to use her words to move that light into another stone means removing it from its prison in the first place. And I, this, if you want to talk about predictions for what the rest of this book is going to hold, I predict this can only go very, very badly. What do you think it is? Because it's not void light. Uh, okay, it's well, damn it. Because at one point we heard um, Gavilar, was it Gavilar or was it Marais talking about investiture from Braze? Uh-huh. I think Both. we even referred to that earlier in this episode, actually. Yep. But it's different. It's slightly... I think they said it's slightly purple. It's not just darkening. I don't... I can't even begin... It's not an unmade. It's not regular void light. We know it's not regular void light. Could it be... Uh, could it be a mix of shards? Could it be odium mixed with... Another shard? No, because he doesn't want to weaken himself. I don't... I can't even begin to formulate this. I'm in part one right now. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But you just literally heard how my brain works in real time when trying to form a theory. That was quite fascinating. (laughs) Drew, I think... I think I need to pop some popcorn for you so you can do the, like, Oh, yeah. Well, I have Rob do these predictions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have another prediction about the... um, Oh, wait, we're going into miscellaneous and Cosmere. We can probably just do this then. Well, yeah. So, at this point, we... Well, yeah, I guess this is full Cosmere spoilers. We still need to do a, a spoiler warning. Um, but yeah, so so just listener beware. I feel like if you're, if you're listening to our Rhythm of War episodes at this point, you've probably gotten the hang of it. We're going we're gonna to take the gloves off here. Yeah, let's talk about the Cosmere as a whole. Up to and including part one of Rhythm of War. Correct. Shall we start with Shalon and the Ghost Bloods? G- yeah, go for it. Skidario, right? Yeah. Nalathis. Yep. Tal Dane. Yep. Tal Dane. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I yes. Mean, yes. And then the, the the man, the gloves are off. Oh my god! I shit my pants when I read those. So. Brandon Sanderson has long maintained that you can read every series of his own by itself. You don't need to read Mistborn to to understand Stormlight. You don't need to read Stormlight to understand Elantris. You don't, you know, whatever. I started with Words of Radiance 
really questioning that. Yep. And he did a pretty good job of saying, well, you know, like, yeah, Warbreaker is more connected. That's really more like a prequel to the Stormlight Archive. And, and then Oathbringer came around and I was like, okay, you know, this is still fair. There are some pretty big Cosmere crossovers now, but they're all from Warbreaker, which he has said are, you know, he said Warbreaker was essentially written as a prequel. Now Rhythm of War has hit us. And from the moment I read chapter 15, I said, Brandon can no longer say this. Yep. He can no longer in, in good conscience say this. And when chapter 14 was released for the preview chapters... You know, he'd been doing his, his annotations chapter by chapter on Reddit. Yep. And he full-on admitted it. He said, I've been keeping Cosmere crossovers as cameos, Easter eggs, little things up until now. And with Rhythm of War, I have to start moving into more of a, these are getting bigger. And he said he's trying to still balance it to where you don't really need to read the other stuff to understand. But he's not sure how well he's doing it. And, and I mean, if, if you only read the Stormlight Archive, you're going to be hella confused reading Rhythm of War. <laughs> I mean, it, there there's so many unexplained things that happen in... In these early chapters, things with Shalon and the Sons of Honor, things with Kaladin and, and Zael, you know, the, the sheets coming to life, you know, the... I mean, Shalon with the ghost bloods. The, yeah, it's... The gloves are completely off at this point. Mm-hmm. There, there have been so many major... major scenes that have Cosmere-aware elements to them, that it's getting really hard for Brandon to say, no, you don't need to read other things. Yeah, and absolutely. And hey, I'm here for it. I love oh, this stuff. Amen. Bring more of it. <laughs> more of it right to me yeah. right now. There's I would a love reason it. why chapter 15 is one of my favorite chapters in this whole book. Hmm. We'll, I have a strong we'll get to the end of this book and we'll three. do favorite scenes in our part 5 episode and I, I, I don't know if I'm going to say chapter 15 is in my three favorite scenes but it might be it I strongly be. suspect it will be for me I mean it's yeah I can't wait for some of our Cosmere discussions as as this <laughs> book goes on you know as as we get more context for things but even just in part one, the epigraphs. We haven't even mentioned uh, the epigraphs, which are full on. You uh, know, talking about the way fabrials so work and all the metals in these fabrials work according to their allomantic principles. Oh, it's so good. You know, like I know the, when I was doing these pro these these preview chapters, and I was reading Navani's lectures about fabrial mechanics and how uh, zinc 
inflate or zinc increases the uh, the spreads effect and brass kind of soothes the the effect yeah. there's 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 mm. copper they had, they had iron they had aluminum listed even though they didn't know what to call it yep. oh my god i was freaking out drew you remember this conversation you and i had probably a couple weeks ago <laughs> and i was saying oh my god these epigraphs are psyching me out so much with the alimantic metals being like and i and i think i told you discussed. you don't even know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're part way yeah, through, and, you know, part two now, so you know a little bit more. But I know a little bit. And and real quick before we get too far off of this, uh, Zyle slash Vasher and Caledon sparring, when we get to like this Sar Bomba of Cosmere theory dropped right in our laps, <laughs> I'll admit that once the sparring itself was over and and Zyle started being remarkably open with Kaladin oh, yeah. about his identity oh, yeah. and the mysterious workings of the Cosmere I was a little confused I don't know why Zyle and especially why Brandon would just decide to start dropping this kind of weight and explosivity on us this to me it was just like it was too good to be true and right around the time he's uh, he being Vasher, or I should say Zyle, is explaining the difference between type 1 and type 2 entities, uh, Kaladin has a thought somewhere along the lines of, well, okay, I did ask. And that right there is the moment I realize, oh shit, Vasher has a mysterious memory erasing spell. I was like, uh-oh, Kaladin, look out! But, nope, didn't happen. Nope. Kaladin walks away with the full but confusing memory of everything that Zyle just said. And, and I, I was like totally... To out, I would like to point out, while Zyle is doing this, he's altering the Ars Arcanum from Warbreaker. The types he, is he? lays out are different. Oh, because he says he thinks they might have to be classified differently after because seeing... Because he didn't yeah, know yeah. about Spren. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I was totally expecting this scene to just be Vasher, you know what, finally opening up and then deciding, yeah, I can do that because I'm just going to wipe Kaladin's memory. I, I, but I nope. did also like, you know, when they talk briefly about Hoyt and he's like, oh, he's an asshole. <laughs> oh my god, I remember texting you in all caps last night. Last night, I texted you in all caps saying, Oh my god, Brandon used the word asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Oh, it's, it's just I'm such... So... Oh, that chapter is so good. And he's like, oh, yeah. here, did you ever want to know how cognitive shadows work? Let me tell you. Yeah. And like, Khaled is mm. just like, hmm. Kaladin's like, uh, Whatever. uh oh, oh, It's okay. so much better because Kaladin doesn't care at all. This is what it should have been like in Edge Dancer when Windle's trying to tell Lyft how things work, and she's just like, yeah, okay, Voidbringer. You know, it, no. This is, I loved this. Yeah, Did it's you? so this. good. It's so... Kaladin values so Zyle's words, despite the fact that he now, doesn't understand them. Now, and I, so he listens. Uh, do you have more on this scene to talk about? No, I'm good. For I have now. one real quick. Real quick. Okay. You just mentioned Lyft. What did you okay. think of Lyft's little scene on, you know, Bridge Four? Oh, yeah. She shows up. She's I'm one of the edge dancers. Does she? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Lyft is there. She trips. Oh, over. what does she do? I'm struggling to remember. She, uh, reading she part... is just super puberty awkward. She's had her growth spurt, she's <laughs> uncoordinated. Everybody who's was already been, we we weren't I wasn't able to like really bring this up on our Edge Dancer episode, but everybody who keeps saying, "Oh no, she actually isn't getting older," I'm like, 
She is. Go read Rhythm of War. <laughs> she's taller. She's described as gangly. Yeah. And that yep. was totally I remember that. me. I and then and then <laughs> oh, she yeah? like she she falls over the side of the, yeah, yeah. Of the ship. <laughs> okay. You got okay. There it is. I, I was wondering this whole time I was like, I haven't read actually like the first couple of chapters, the first few since they they were released, which was a couple months ago now. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. When you when when Lauren you mentioned her stumble like a clumsily stumbling off of the edge. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna move on to, to some Marais things. Marais. Marais, Marais, Marais. Obviously, we have some really tantalizing things, you know, that he's he's getting ready to tell Shalon about. But we have more of his AVR. Hmm. And very possibly he has breaths. Wait, what? He senses Shalon approaching. Oh, yeah. he turns around and he see. Yeah, he has her life sense there. Yeah, okay. so I totally forgot about that. Yep. So, I'm not fully convinced that he has true life sense. It may be an AVR effect. Oh, that. Or yeah, any other Cosmere investiture effect that we don't know enough about yet. Well, I I feel like if Brandon shit, maybe he's burning in, tin, and he heard it. You never know. Uh, yeah. I basically guarantee he is not Burnington. No? No. Okay. Where oh, I mean, the hell just... would he get Loracium? Why would he... Oh, okay. Well, Hemallergy can do a lot of things. I don't know. That was just like a two-second uh, thing I pulled out of my ass. I, I don't think... If, if he were... It, my point stands, though. There are other cosmic effects. I don't think he would have hemallergic spikes on a trophy shelf in his lair. He would be using them. Perhaps. Maybe yeah. he doesn't know how to play some idea. Again, I, I just pulled that out of my ass. I was yeah. the, My point, but, though, but no, is it's just, think, just that there are other Cosmere effects. Either. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he's, he's a, been to Nalthus because he has Tears of Edgley and Royal Locks. Yep. You know. Um, so he could very well have enough breaths to have life sense. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely, I, I would yeah. not at all be surprised if, if he doesn't... If he has, you know, maybe some breaths, but not enough for that. But... He he has this ability from his AVR, because hmm. I mean we've seen the AVR, right? But we don't really know what it does yet. Mm-mm. Yeah. So this could be Brandon giving us a little hint. Um. Yeah. Uh, as far as cosmic things, that's the last thing from this part that I can talk about. Okay. Uh, okay. I have a few more though because I, I I have, I mean I've just finished part one and I I, I have wrote down all the questions I had after it. I want to talk mm. about Zeth really quick, and the mm. fact that he seems to make Navani sick, or maybe it's uh, it's probably Nightblood oh, making totally Navani Nightblood. sick. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's Nightblood making Navani sick, but I I, I like that that was consistent, and I like that mm. what it says about Navani. You know, I yeah. I found that was to, that was a really cool little hint, a little detail that we got. For those who have the context. She's a good person. She's a good person. Yeah. Not surprising, but uh, reassuring to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, oh my God. I almost said this earlier and now, now I get to say this. We find out from Navani's point of view that what they supposedly did with Nurgaul 
the unmade yep. for the thrill. What they did with that gem, they just done dropped it into the ocean. Yep. I mean, that strikes me as very, very unwise in a world where pressure, atmospheric pressure, is literally manipulated by one of the surges. You know? Like, the gemstone clearly isn't going to be retrieved, right? It's not going to be retrieved. And it obviously won't be right at a dire, dangerous moment when we need hope and everything is going to come crashing down around us even harder. This is definitely not the kind of plan that we can feel safe and secure with, right? Like, I just want to point out that when she mentions that, it's in the same context as wanting to throw night blood into the ocean. Into the ocean, yeah. And we've seen somebody do that before. And it didn't yes. turn out so great. Oh, shit. Oh, no. In Warbreaker, somebody tossed night blood into the harbor. Yep. And the fisherman found him. Yeah. And he was like, oh, hello there. So, I... I yeah. So just mm, gonna say that. Speaking of oceans and traveling on oceans. Okay. And the traveling on thereof, yeah. We have a hint in this part that something happened in a voyage off screen. In a voyage off screen. Oh. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yep. I totally forgot about this. <laughs> I'm going to feel real stupid in about 10 seconds, aren't I? Mm. Drew, you want to introduce it? Well, by the time this is out, Dawnshard will be out as well. They found some stuff in Aemea. Oh, they did! They did! Yep. They totally they done found some Soulcaster, didn't they? And some shard, some yeah. shards. Some, some shard plate. Some that cord oh. Rock's daughter has. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Lauren, you haven't read that yet, have you? <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh. But so yeah. I'm the only one who's read it at this point. I, I will Wait say... Wait a second. They, I thought Lauren had read all of Rhythm of War. She's yes. read Rhythm of War. She hasn't read Dawnshard. No. Oh, I haven't read Dawnshard either. Yeah, I know. So I will say this. I also tried to get uh, approval for, for us to get uh, Dawn Shard, but that that is locked down. I can imagine. Yeah. It's because be a good part of it is, too. yeah, because there are Kickstarter rewards. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, based yep. around the early drafts and, and the beta comments and things like that. So, um, so yeah, it, it'll be anonymized, but if you uh, backed the... Wave King's Leatherbound Kickstarter. I don't remember which level it was, but like whatever the digital package with Dawn Shard, uh, you'll get access to the beta comments. And so you won't know which ones are mine, but you'll see my comments. And if you know me, you may be able to pick out some of mine. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's that was one of the, the perks they did with, with the Wave King's Leatherbound. Well, um, I, I will say we were going nuts at this point. <laughs> When there's oh, some yeah. off-screen journey that we don't get to know anything about, yeah, other I, than I, they found stuff. I, I think the line was like the the shard plate cord found in Aemia, and my comment for for the beta was like, <laughs> hey, the what they found <laughs> where? <laughs> like, <laughs> excuse me. The was a was a was a. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're just gonna side mention yeah. that. Are you kidding? 
it's the blasé attitude with which it's it's revealed. And uh, yeah, that's that's one of those reasons why Brandon, you know, was very concerned about getting Dawn Chart out before Rhythm of War if he could. So, um, yeah. But still, yeah. dropping Nergal, one of the unmade, into the storming ocean. Oh my God! Shake my head. <laughs> oh God. Um, I found it very interesting that the fused are apparently using aluminum blades. So, Are they? when they're slain, they respawn. But the weapons don't. Start collecting! Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they um, using aluminum blades? Yeah. Well, they're using blades that are that, that have no... Uh, that, that don't take any lashings, that don't seem to respond to any investiture, right? Isn't that what it, how it was described? Yeah. Do they do other things? Uh, it, oh god damn it um, let's see here I have it written down they're slaying the weapons they respond most, uh, shit oh god something about when they actually kill oh it can kill it can kill a radiant no wait this is these, those yeah. are the ones that can actually remove the investiture though yeah mm -hmm. oh damn no I don't know what else these aluminum blades supposedly do that's what I wrote down was aluminum blades because it just uh, sounded yeah. like aluminum yeah so so they they have aluminum but they okay. also have what I am quite convinced is Razium. Electro. Wait, the Razium? What? Razium. Oh, Brazium. No, oh! Raze. Oh, Razium. Yeah, Odium's As in Raze the shard holder of yeah. Odium. Okay, got you, got you, got you. Yeah, why did I say Brazium? I am, I am okay. quite convinced that that investiture conducting metal is... Odium's got metal. And it's the same thing the dagger was made out of that Moash used to kill Yesrian. Okay. I was about to have a problem with that, saying, like, why would it be in that much abundance that they can form swords and swords and swords out of it? Because every other god metal that we've seen has been incredibly precious and rare. And and when a fused dies, they are, they are you know, reborn in another body, but they would just forfeit that entire blade to be picked up by the Radiants, to be picked up by their enemies. Yeah, but do you think right? they... Do you think they think it's more worth it to be able to permanently kill a Radiant? Considering they can't be permanently killed? I, right. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like they'd just be giving a lot of it to their enemies if that was the case. Yeah, but you, you're assuming the their enemies are gonna know what it is and be picking them up. Yeah. I don't know. It seems a little... For me, I feel like that's a little too abundant. As, as, as little as it apparently is. It still seems a little too abundant for me to be an actual god metal. Well, then what the hell else is it? Aluminum. Aluminum doesn't conduct investiture. Oh, you mean like just to steal the investiture? I figured like the investiture, the investiture stealing was slightly different. I don't know. Do we know that's how it kills Radiant? Is because it steals their yeah, investiture. They describe it. It sucks the investiture out of them. Okay. All right. Mm. I didn't pick up on that uh, detail about the aluminum blades. Or sorry, the, the blades themselves doing that. Don't I said aluminum there? Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Oh, uh, something I didn't get a chance to bring up in Oathbringer Part One, which we actually just recorded because it involved spoilers for the prologue of Rhythm yes. of War here. Yeah. But Navani, right before she marries Dalinar has a somewhat throwaway line when she says, I, I'm as religious as the next woman, 
more than most, actually. I'm not surprised that she is, because after burning the prayer for Gavilar's yeah. death, and then seeing it happen, and then what happened when she burned the prayer before Sadius eventually dies as well, I went, yikes, when I read that. It's no wonder that she finds herself a little spooked and a little reverent. Oh, yeah. I After reading that prologue, I was like, okay, just... Just how effective are these glyph wards? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's a little suspicious. It's a little sus, isn't it? It's, it's a little it's sus. A little sus. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> oh man! A little yeah. bit of Among Us lingo in there. Yeah. In, in, yeah, indeed. <laughs> so, so that's you have everything more? I have to say at the moment about Rhythm of War Part One. Okay. Coming, having freshly just read it hours ago. Okay. Well, I think that brings us to the final draft then, doesn't it? Good then. I'll give us a start then, because I have the dumb choice here. Um, <laughs> I'm not drinking bush ice oh, this good. time, Drew. Good. But I am drinking something that's just also and still not very good. I'm just drinking James Ready. Okay. Done. All right. <laughs> that's All right. it. Right. I mean, as far as really cheap beers goes, I mean, it was just what we had lying around. I find it's a little... Uh, little more refreshing it's almost a little fruitier than just most cheap ass hoppy yeasty dusty tasting beers tend to be as far as the the, the cheap cheap end goes james ready is ten, is what i tend to gravitate towards i'm not a huge fan of the bush ice honestly I mean, it's pretty clear but still i mean there's really nothing to brag about with what came out of this can so so <laughs> lauren and i have two beers yes Lauren, why don't you talk about this one? All right. So this guy we have not always had access to, this brewery. It is uh, Bell's Brewery. From Michigan. Yep. They didn't always distribute, but now they do. And the beer is called Two-Hearted Ale. It's an American IPA. And this, Too is, hearted. this is for Venley. This is oh. for the two spren in her heart. Yes. The void sprint and timber and timber. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, okay. And so I like this, it. I really this like beer it. is th this brewery, but specifically this beer is an absolute American craft beer classic. Mm -hmm. This is one of probably the five most foundational beers in the craft beer revolution in America. When you think about the boom and and the just just the bedrock that uh, I, I, you you think of a few beers you think of fat tire from new belgium for sure you think of sierra nevada pale ale yep you think of uh sam adams boston lager you think of two hearted from bets like like these are ubiquitous names with American craft beer in you know the the nineties and early two thousands when the the revolution happened and bells like Lauren said they they used to have a pretty limited distribution footprint and it wasn't until just a you know a year a year or two ago that they came to Colorado it was I mean it was around the time of founders too yeah yeah and um. All, all day IPA was founders. Uh, they're they're another one of the biggest craft breweries in America, um, and so Two Hearted the, yeah, American IPA. It it is just 
an, an absolute classic. However, and I'm going to open this up right now because I forgot I had this until just now. And this was a beer I got for this episode. Oh. Was, it, was it in the spreadsheet? It was not in our spreadsheet. No, it was not in the spreadsheet. Okay, okay. This is a double India Pale Ale from a brewery our listeners will be very familiar with at this point, Anchorage Brewing Company. Mmm. Okay. Mm. Um, oh, wow. Ooh. So it's double dry hopped with Nelson Sauvan hops, 8.4% ABV. It is... Wow. It's good. Uh, it's... I just saw the name. I just saw the name. I oh, like no. it. Okay. But yeah, so, it's okay. So Don't worry I, about it. I'm I, not saying... I talked earlier in the, in the episode about how this is not my favorite part one in this series. Mm. And, and, I, and I said, you know, I, I'll... I'll discuss what I think of the rest of the book later. Well, now is the time. This is, in my opinion, the best book Brandon Sanderson has written. And thus, this beer is called It Gets Better. <laughs> yes! Oh, I thought you were about to say that this is for Kaladin in his darkest of dark moments when he's in his room and he's holding his head and he's like kind of drowning on himself. This is something that, that that he really needs to understand and accept too. You know, it gets yes. better. And this is, is what it, is oh, it wait, a spoiler for me to say what it gets for Kaladin? <laughs> mm, yes, yes, it is. I yes, <laughs> yes. Drew. Don't do it then. Is it a spoiler to say it gets worse? True. <laughs> Does it? I can't imagine. We're in how, part oh, I can't imagine one this. of this book. It is a journey. <laughs> okay. I'll just say. Oh that. no. Okay. Oh no, I'm my brain is taking that and running away with it. What does Liren get cancer? What the fuck is happening? <laughs> does Liren get cancer? That is Oh my god, does Orodin get cancer? What the fuck is going to happen yeah, to this yeah. poor guy? That actually. But uh but yeah, so I think that brings us Wait, wait, wait. We got to talk about the beer. It's very clean. There is a it nice is. finish. There's, there's like a, a a nice funk to it from the Nelson Sauvan hops. Mm-hmm. Um, like, mm-hmm. but it finishes clean, like, like no like pretty, lingering bitter. Pretty tropical. Yeah. Um, it, it, when you think of hoppy, you think of you know bitter. Some some of the classic hops are really piney. Not not at all. Not piney. Not bitter. This is this is an incredibly smooth and drinkable beer. I would compare it to a seltzer. It is. Ooh. Not in the fact that it's bubbly like a seltzer, but in the fact that it finishes the way it does. Mm. 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 Yeah, I could see that. Anchorage. It's got a pretty dry finish, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, now we've gotten to the end. Uh, <laughs> now that we're we're deep in the weeds, uh, nearly two hours of content on Rhythm of oh, War Part did. One. Yes. Yep. Um, this has been episode ninety three of the Inking Out yeah, I, podcast. I purposely didn't uh, say the the episode number at the beginning because I was like, we've been moving these around so much that I don't know what's going to come out to be. So I just, I didn't say the number, but I'm glad that, okay, so 93, you said? Yeah, episode 93. 
Okay. Next up, we will be continuing on with Rhythm of War. We will be doing the first set of interludes and part two. So keep an eye out for that. If you want early access to it, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, normally, our early access episodes will would only be available to those at the uh, $6 and $10 a month tiers. But for Rhythm of War, we are doing a special deal where we are making them available to all of our Patreon supporters. So definitely take a look at that. Uh, you know, even if you're at the lowest tier, uh, we have tons of extra content in addition to these early episodes. Uh, we have monthly short fiction written by Rob and myself. We have monthly bonus episodes. We have just, yeah, a bunch of fun stuff. That is, once again, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. As always, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep. And our special guest and returning guest, Lauren McCaffrey. Thanks for letting me drop in last minute. Yeah, <laughs> Great. yeah. Thanks, thanks for offering last minute. I was stoked for it. It's been good. Yeah. So thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>